1: your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And I'm Thera Dowdy. And we talk a lot about the real historical influences behind stories in books and in movies in particular. But of course, the same sort of approach can easily apply to other literary and performance genres like plays.
3: Yeah. And if you're a theater buff, you're probably going to know the play that we're going to be talking about today, or you'll at least have heard of it. It's called Clybourne Park, and it opened on Broadway about a month ago to rave reviews and has been nominated for several Tonys, including Best Play, Best Performance by an Actor in a Featured Role in a Play, and Best Direction of a Play. So
0: a lot of acclaim going on. And the play was written by Bruce Norris in 2009, and it won both the 2011 Pulitzer Prize for Drama and London's Olivier Award for Best Play. So, Clyburn Park and its successes are relatively recent, but the history behind the story portrayed here goes back decades. The play is actually inspired by another very famous play that many of you will have heard of, and that's Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. Raisin in the Sun, for those who aren't familiar, basically deals with the social and emotional struggles of a poor black family in Chicago as they try to figure out what to do with the $10,000 insurance windfall that the mother is about to receive. Each family member has their own ideas about the best way to spend the money. And the mother ends up using part of the money to buy a house in a white neighborhood. And they're met with opposition from the residents of that neighborhood. And one in particular, a character named Carl, even comes to try to talk them out of it and buy them out but they don't take it. They don't take his money. And that's a big turning point in that
3: play. But this house plot line and the racial tension surrounding it actually took inspiration from Lorraine Hansberry's own life. Her African-American family moved to a white neighborhood, an all-white neighborhood, Washington Park in Chicago, when she was eight years old, and that was in the late 1930s. And her family also had to deal with all of these issues surrounding it, even threats of physical violence just just hatred, too, because a lot of people didn't want their
0: neighborhoods to be integrated. Their neighbors literally tried to force them out, citing a racially restrictive covenant, which basically barred black people from living in the neighborhood as a legal. As they cited this as their legal basis to get the Hansberries out of the neighborhood. Uh, Just a little background on that. The black population in Chicago had increased significantly during the beginning of the 20th century. And these covenants, they had basically been established to segregate them.
3: Well, and they had been set up almost as buffer neighborhoods that would isolate these large, predominantly black neighborhoods from predominantly
0: white neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. But a couple of things had happened around the time that Hansberry's family had moved into this neighborhood, there was an increased demand for housing, of course, because of that black population increase, and it was coupled with kind of a depressed white housing market after the Depression. So True. that started to break down the system. Yeah, that had and been for, in place.
3: for an African-American family like Hansbury's, the best deal they could find on a house was in a white neighborhood because the white family couldn't find a buyer and the black neighborhoods had housing in such short supply that the prices were all inflated.
0: So all of this culminated in the 1940 U.S. Supreme Court case, Hansberry versus Lee, which actually turned out in favor of the Hansberries, but they still had to struggle with discrimination and hostility for a long time after that.
3: So A Raisin in the Sun, the uh, dramatization of that story, or at least something that was inspired by Lorraine Hansberry's own story, opened on Broadway in March of 1959, and it was the first drama by an African-American woman
0: to be produced on Broadway. And Park picks up where Hansberry's story left off, and it takes place entirely in the sitting room of the same middle-class Chicago home the Youngers have just bought. So when the play opens in 1959, It's centered on this middle-aged
3: married couple, Russ and Bev, and they're in the process of moving out. They're relocating to the suburbs so that Russ can be closer to his office. Gradually, though, it comes out that they're also just really eager to leave behind sad memories they have of this house since the death of their Korean War veteran son, and they're just ready to get
0: out of their neighborhood and make a fresh start. The first act focuses on relations between this still mourning family and their black housekeeper, her husband, a local priest, and Carl Lindner, the intrusive, overly formal representative from the Neighborhood Association. So when Carl shows up with his heavily pregnant wife, Betsy, who is also deaf, he's just arrived from a raisin in the sun. Kind of stepped off one page into another almost. Exactly. And having failed to convince the unnamed Younger family not to buy the house, he's come to convince Russ and Bev not to sell it race, money, and the ill feelings Russ has felt toward the neighborhood since his son came home from the war all come out with this.
3: Yeah, and then there's a long intermission where the setting is aged 50 years, still the same setting though, this sitting room, it's aged 50 years to a really decrepit state. And the play picks up in Act Two in 2009. And there's this new young family, this time a white suburban family, looking to move closer to their downtown jobs. And they're meeting in the sitting room with their lawyer and with representatives from the Neighborhood Association who are really concerned about their plan to come into the neighborhood, tear down this old home, and build a new,
0: much larger home. And to add to matters, Lena, one of the neighbors who is opposing the teardown, was a niece of the Youngers and remembers playing in the house as a girl and knows about its significance as the first house in the neighborhood owned by African Americans. Kathy, one of the lawyers, is coincidentally the daughter of Carl, but seems to know nothing about her family's own involvement in the home's history. So, again, it's a half funny, half kind of horribly awkward discussion that ensues about race and neighborhoods.
3: So we were uh, interested in hearing a little bit more about the historical background of this play. And we got a chance to interview the play's director, Pam McKinnon. It was her first time on Broadway, um, and she got all these Tony nominations for her play. But she also had a lot to say about uh, just the research that went into something like this, where the period details have to be so perfect. And here's what she had to say.
4: I mean, I, I definitely had a lot of conversations with my set designer about what this house would be. Uh, and very lucky for us, uh, my set designer, Dan Ostling, who's also nominated for a Tony for his work, um, a, a friend of his had just bought uh, a, a bungalow house very much like like what Bruce and Lorraine Hansberry were describing in sort of exactly the same, like just north of downtown Chicago neighborhood, and so and they were and they were going in doing some pretty major renovations, and so Dan was able to be in exactly this kind of living room, sort of in the state that the our second act 2009 was in. Um, so that was sort of amazing and just very fortuitous. Um, uh, so you know, so 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 some you know great research went into that. And then also what, what would that bungalow house look like in the late 50s, um, you know, it was also really exacting period research that, you know, great designers do. Um, and the same with my costume designer, figuring out, um, you know, people's social standing and, you know, it's a Saturday afternoon in June, um, what are what are people wearing, Um, you know, is also really exacting research. I guess in terms of, like, performance style, something I was really interested in as a director to separate um, the first act from the second act a little bit more was I wanted to embrace sort of a a sense of theatricality in the first act, which for me sort of allowed people to make even just like like bigger physical gestures um and just sort of really embrace what a mid-century american broad-shouldered big-boned play can be and then the second act um working with this fa- this this fabulous acting company was interested in embracing a little bit more sort of the like an an american realism an american a more contemporary feel but you know, but and, and that and that all came from Bruce's text. Um, you know, it, it came from the syntax that is very different act one to act two, um, and and came from the uh, the different rhythms between the acts.
0: On the topic of Raisin in the Sun connections specifically, when it came to the character of Carl, who appears in both that play and Clyburn Park, we really wondered. How much did McKinnon and actor Jeremy Shamos, who plays Carl, really worry about making the character reminiscent of Hansberry's Carl?
4: So the text or the or the or the situation that Bruce developed is is completely immersed with Lorraine Hansberry's classic play. Um, but what was really interesting, and you know, in, in in no small part, that when we first did this off Broadway, that we had a really Short rehearsal process, um, and that's just the way Off-Broadway works. You 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 put up these plays very very quickly. That that you know sort of our our job um, sort of running on uh, adrenaline was about putting up this play. And so yes, there was a ton of research that went into what should this house look like, what should these people be wearing. But as far as you know, trying to like in. The, uh, use rehearsal hall time to make sure that that the Carl Lindner is exactly the same Carl Lindner as Lorraine Hansberry's Carl Lindner. That just you know we just didn't we just didn't get into that. But I think Bruce took care of us. The playwright took care of us. And that that um, that Carl's strange, polite veneer, uncomfortable. Uh, you know, nervous laugh kind of man that Lorraine Hansberry wrote is also very much, very much the character that Bruce wrote. So, so it was on the page to sort of link, like, in, in the most simple way to link those two plays together.
3: So the character of Carl really represents maybe the most disconcerting attitude present in the play, but what's Kind of unique about it is that all of the characters at some point or another, or at least almost all of them, in the 1959 act and the 2009 act, say something that they really probably shouldn't say and that lends the whole the whole script to this very uncomfortable sort of feeling. There are lots of jokes flying, but there's tension too the, the entire time and, and things that um, we wondered how people how people reacted when they saw them in person.
0: Yeah, and she told us about a little bit about some of the different performances of the play, and it's actually been staged in three different locations where well, uh, she's
3: directed it. Where in she's three different places. exactly
0: two times in New York at two different locations, and once in L.A. And McKinnon kind of spoke to how the larger Broadway audience seems more inclined to laugh and live it up during the play. Seeing a Broadway play, she suggests, is kind of maybe more about having a good time, and maybe audiences are expecting a show and they're just ready to laugh. And there's also some anonymity there. You're with a lot of other people who are laughing. But the smaller audiences for the off-Broadway stagings seemed more likely to take things pretty seriously. They seemed to be more there for the theater, maybe expecting something more experimental or edgy than chock full of laughs.
3: They were there almost for the more uncomfortable parts, it seemed.
0: McKinnon was also telling us about... Some of the different ways that people react depending on the location that the show is, too. Uh, For example, a line about a bad commute got a lot of laughter in L.A., but not quite as much in New York City. And a line about installing a koi pond was a big hit in New York City since it lampoons a certain type of person. People could
3: identify with it, or at least they understood what it was trying to say. But yeah, she she said that that line about the koi pond didn't really get a laugh at all in L.A. just because nothing at all seemed strange about having a koi <laughs> pond. Um, but, but she also talked a little bit about how there are certain things she needs to make sure of as a director to balance that humor and the really uncomfortable issues and make sure that those uncomfortable issues still get their play, too, because, I mean, that's what the whole thing is supposed to be about. She said that the most important thing she could do as a director to strike that balance was to cast good actors who had good comic timing, but emotional range as well. And then she said it's also important as a director to orchestrate the dialogue, so to pinpoint these areas where the actors need to change what she called the tempo, um, so places where the play is going full steam ahead with jokes. And then something says some, somebody says something wrong and the tempo changes.
0: So taking all of this into consideration, just kind of the balance between the seriousness and the humor and the different ways that different audiences might react to the same lines, it made us really curious. What message are audiences taking away with them after seeing Clyburn Park? And this is what McKinnon told us.
4: I think that Bruce isn't a message playwright. And some audience members actually find that really difficult. Like they want they want there to be a protagonist somewhere in the play, or they want some character to ultimately sum up their ideally liberal point of view, you know, and sort of slam dunk, you know, sort of the the message at some point. And Bruce Norris, the playwright, doesn't really do that for us. It's more complicated than that. So as soon as you sort of think, "Oh, I'm I'm going to track this person and hopefully this person sort of as spirit guide will will agree with my liberal sentiment walking through this world." And then he starts going off the rails. It becomes very complicated. I mean, I think Bruce's message and and what, what um we like the actors, designers, myself included, were just trying to like 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 really honor Bruce's complicated world. And I guess the message is we like, first, the first act is in 1959, the second act in 2009, and he really wants an audience to question, ponder, you know, how, how far have we really come when it comes to, issues of race and real estate, black-white issues of race and real estate in this country. And perhaps we haven't come that far, that this is still a, a topic of conversation that, that we as a country don't quite have the tools to really talk about. This plays largely about ineffectual communication when it comes to hot-button issues. And we, we fall apart. We fall apart. We, it, it becomes foot-and-mouth disease.
0: So the message isn't exactly the same, but since this play does take some inspiration from *Raisin in the Sun*, we wanted to ask McKinnon what she thought Lorraine Hansberry would think if Hansberry saw Clybourne Park today.
4: I mean, I, I I hope I hope that Lorraine Hansberry would be very excited, like a lot of artists that I know myself included, that 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 sh- that she would be excited that her play you know continues to inspire other people. Um Bruce Bruce Norris has a very different voice than Lorraine Hansberry. Um Raisin in the Sun I, I, is such a masterful play. It is very complicated, but there is there is a sense I think coming from the writer that you know that 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 while it is Difficult that there is sort of an there, there, like a, there is something of an optimistic voice or or an optimistic attempt um, in in that play and Bruce uh, I don't think he would call himself himself a pessimist but I think some other people do I think Bruce would call himself um, I don't know sort of like a like a tricky realist um, and that and that optimism isn't there. Um, or, or if it is, it's in fits and starts, and then sort of gets denied. So maybe Lorraine Hansberry would, you know, at maybe in, at times say, "Oh, it makes me uncomfortable," but, but, but I bet she'd embrace it as an artist.
3: So we hinted at this a little bit earlier in the show that McKinnon has directed this play in several different locations, two spots in New York, one in L.A. But we didn't mention that she's been working with the same cast. They've been playing these same roles and, you know, I would assume getting very deep into character studies by this point. So we wanted to ask her how people have changed their roles at all over all of this time, how she's changed her direction, and what kind of direction she still offers at this point, too, for, for people who've been working on this for such a long time. And here's what she had to say.
4: Well, I, you know, I, I, I had the opportunity um, to go back into a full, re- full rehearsal process with these same actors after an almost two-year break where, you know, all of us did many other things, but we certainly didn't do anything with Clybourne Park. Um, so I think we all came back sort of to the table, you know, really, really game. Like we knew that we had created together something very special, and it was great actually to have that, that time away from it and to come back I think I mean I mean I'll, I'll just speak for myself, but as a stronger director, as a stronger artist, and we got to tackle it again. Um, definitely in the in in the process, the second go round. I mean, we just had more time, um, and we could talk more about backstory and you know what what just occurred with these characters, and you know we could be because we already knew we already had built the skeleton, we already knew it worked, quote unquote. And so we could, you know, we could we could really sort of luxuriate and just go deeper emotionally um, and earlier talking about, like, that fine line between the humor and, you know, and the uglier stuff. I really wanted to make sure that in the second round, the uglier stuff was not eclipsed. Um, So that was definitely a rehearsal hall project. Since the play has opened on Broadway, it opened about, I don't know, three weeks ago, a month ago, um, I've gone back a few times. And and, and it's a a cast of seven, and every night, obviously, is a little bit different, um, and and, and performances have gotten richer and and have changed sort of, you know, the tiniest bit at the margins. And um, I went back last week, and I felt that there were some changes that, that, that weren't good and i spoke to um a couple of my actors and it, you know and it was it was just by inches it was just by degrees but 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 some of the performances had expanded a little bit and had slowed down a little bit and um and so there was uh, more of like a at times more of a, a, an even as opposed to syncopated tempo in places and um and so i had uh, you know, a, a phone, I had phone conversations with a couple actors about getting it back into shape and sort of making sure that the motor of the play was was running at the speed that I think best serves the story. Um, so, you know, I so so I will do that. I, I I will drop by, you know, every couple weeks or three weeks or something like that, and and. Um, uh, hopefully I'll be you know, amazed and proud and happy about how stuff gets deeper and richer as this great company learns you know, even more things about each other and about this story. But if I see something that is sort of like, oh, I think we're now missing what, what for me is really important to, to the evening and to the story, I have no qualms about, about giving a note even though it's long after we're out of rehearsal and you know some of that also comes from having worked with this group and so we trust each other you know i'm sure i'm sure that um that if i did that nightly uh and i wouldn't want to but it would be very annoying and to be very detrimental but every once in a while i just sort of you know i have to reinsert myself if if i need to
2: And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out season two of Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks.
5: Focus Features presents Back to Black.
2: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their
5: troubles. Experience the music and her story.
2: Know this I ain't no spy,
5: Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen.
3: I want to be remembered.
5: For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
0: So it was a treat to get to talk to Pam McKinnon, but there's an even cooler treat that listeners can be eligible for if they're going to be in the New York City area on May 31st. There's going to be kind of a Stuff Works like experience at the performance of Clyburn Park that night. And Works is giving away 25 pairs of tickets. And if you're one of those lucky people, lucky 50 people who gets to go to that performance that night, then after the show, you will get a chance to listen to a special talk back session in which someone will actually take contest winners through the set and how it transforms from 1959 to 2009. And that's a transformation that McKinnon really likes to keep under wraps during typical performances. She told us a little bit about why keeping that hidden is so special to her.
4: I have a black curtain that um, goes down at the end of the first act. And hides the huge, scene, the, the, the huge scenic shift that our stagehands do um, during the intermission. And it, you know, the intermission, it takes them about 16 minutes to transform the Act One set into the Act Two set. It takes them the entire intermission to do all this work. Um, like staircase units get rolled, rolled away. Fireplace units get turned around. Um, uh, wallpaper that is is on like hard sheets that stuck to magnets pop off and new things pop on um window seats get transformed window treatments get transformed bars go on windows front doors get get changed out um it's it's a it's, it's a really big thing, but I obscure that from the audience with the curtain and that's a story choice of mine of um even though now this play has been published for a while and it won the Pulitzer and a lot of people know that we're moving ahead in time, there's still a certain percentage of the audience that doesn't know. And I sort of love the reveal of, whoa, okay, we're in a different world in Act Two.
3: Okay, so now that you've heard what you would get to see if you were backstage um, and you've learned a little bit about Clyburn Park and its history, remember you can enter for those tickets, 25 pairs of tickets. Um there are, sweepstakes is going to be starting May twenty first, and go on that week and you can find out more information about it by looking on the House Stuff Works Twitter account. Not the Mist in History one. Don't go to ours, you won't find information there, but the main House Stuff Works account, which is at how stuff works. And uh good luck to you if you're in the New York area. Maybe
0: we'll get to see this play someday too, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> I'm actually quite jealous. I wish that we're not eligible for this. No. So we can't enter the contest unfortunately and win the tickets and get this experience. But if you get to do it, please tell us how it is. Just let us know how it goes.
3: We'd love to hear about the live show and all of the back stage stuff so email us we're at historypodcast at discovery.com and again you can enter that contest at the howstuffworks twitter account thanks guys
0: for more on this and
3: thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com